Good morning, I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Today we're pleased to have Mr. Doug Moran, author of the book, If You Will Lead, Enduring Wisdom for 21st Century Leaders, back to the program. Doug, welcome back to the program. Glad to be back. Thanks, Darrell. We certainly had a, uh, a riveting uh, discussion last week, and I really appreciate uh, some of the stories that you have shared, and it's very inspirational. And uh, I, I think that uh, any of the Butler basketball players who would, would hear this uh, interview, they will know that uh, they were part of uh, history when the, their coach gave them the point, if, to read before they played Duke. That's right. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's funny. I, I think uh, it's, it is amazing how this poem can have those kind of impacts on people or, or you know, any inspirational words. And uh, I think that's, that, that's the power of our language. Absolutely. You know, when does, in your opinion, when does one, uh, how does one prepare themselves to be a great leader? Uh, by realizing that it's going to take a lifetime to be the leader you have the potential to be. You know, I, I often tell my clients, I say, you're going to work your whole life to get to the, you know, to reach your potential, your greatest potential of leadership, and then you're going to die. You know, it is a never-ending prospect. It, you know that it, that you will always have room to improve and always room, have room to grow. And starting from a place of humility and, and being humble about who you are and being, you know, you know embracing the fact that you're always going to be learning is, is so important. Um, the other thing that's critical is being committed to self-awareness. I tell people that it all starts and ends with the leader themselves. Um, and my book, we start with that uh, section on knowing who you are, and I really believe that, that it is, a, it is key to success, uh, successful leadership is, is knowing yourself. Uh, it's knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses, knowing your beliefs and values, and, and understanding the difference between those two. Um, and, you know, and then being... Um, honest with yourself about how well you're living it. So that self-awareness is the key. Well, Doug, let me say that if you went to my Facebook page, you will see a couple of quotes by me. And one of them says, a man needs to understand his limitations. Secondly, a man must be honest with himself. Exactly. Now, you know, I'll be interested. We should have a conversation someday about this, but I'd be interested to know whether you believe that you understanding your limitations doesn't mean necessarily accepting them. Um, That's correct. I mean, yeah. understanding your limitations is the beginning of overcoming your limitations. Exactly, yeah. Yes. You know, self-aware, I, I have to agree with you, self-awareness uh, is so important. And I guess when I was a student here at Seton Hall back in some, quite some years ago, I had a psychology course. And in that psychology course, you had to learn about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. And it has stayed with me so much in regards to, you know, trying to get to that point of making sure I understand my growth at each level, knowing that I'm striving to get to that self-actualization. And to, 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 to get there, it, it, is, it is a journey. It is not a destination. Exactly. Yeah. And, and as soon as we think we're, we're there, uh, it's when we start slipping. You know, I, I, we talked last week about my decision to go off on my own. One of the things that I only discovered after I left my corporate role was that uh, I had gotten a little complacent. 
I, I had gotten to the point where I thought I was pretty good. I was a pretty good leader, you know. And I tell people, as soon as you start thinking you're pretty good, you're not. And and that's where I was. I, I was um, falling prey to that classic blunder, you know, that um, that belief in that you're better than you really are, believing your own propaganda, all that stuff. And, you know, I, I it's not that you should deny the gifts that you have, um, but you should, you know, you can't ever take them for granted, and that's that's something that many leaders start to do. You know, um, something that I learned from my mother, and she says a knife does not sharpen itself. Yeah, and, uh, that's right. And if you use a knife quite a bit, after a while it's going to get dull. You, you need to sharpen it. And uh, I have a good friend, John Hoffman, uh, Design Performance. Uh, he's a gentleman who has trained all of my sales teams throughout my career. And recently, we actually started to teach a course here at Seton Hall on consultative sales. And the one thing that amazes us all the time is that when you get uh, folks who uh, are in for a training, in this case, consultative sales training, and you'll have someone who's been in sales a long time, they'll say, oh, well, I don't need this. I know everything. And that's when you begin to, to die as a professional because you're not sharpening that blade. Exactly. And in the uh, where's the expression uh, I've heard it before that you know steel sharpens steel. You know you you need to be um, if you if you're at the peak of your game if you're you know really extraordinary salesperson or you know, a very effective senior leader um, you can only sharpen your your sword you can only sharpen your skills by testing yourself and and working on bigger and more challenging problems and and that's that's so important that we we are constantly testing ourselves and pushing ourselves. So. That is that is so true. That is that is so true. And um, did you realize that you wanted to? When did you first realize that you were a leader and you wanted to really work at this? Was it was it when you worked for the governor? Was it when you were in college? When, when did it when did it hit you? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I've always been uh, somebody who stepped up. You know, and and um, as a leader, I think that's a big part of, of whether you're going to be an, a natural leader or not. You know that um, I can remember even in elementary school, there would you know be looking for somebody to run for class president or class office, and and you know being a safety patrol or whatever it is, these things that were that had a uh, an element of leadership to them. And uh, I spent a lot of time when I was researching the book, thinking about my own experience and, and what drove me. And I think you know, early on, a lot of it was the you know the mystique and the allure and the you know kind of the glamour of leadership. That if you even in those you know elementary school days, there was some um, some appeal to being in charge. And what I realized uh, over time, and what made me really love leadership, go from the, the allure and the mystique of it to really loving it as a, as a vocation was when I realized the responsibility and the um, um, obligation that it brought with it. Yes. The, um, ah, the so, obligation, yes. And somewhere around, um, you know, I remember when I was working for the governor, um, I was, we were doing welfare reform and, and I was running the Department of Social Services. And um, we were making a lot of decisions, 
and you know it was really heady stuff, and I was really excited about it, and, and I was I was very proud of it, and you know of all my professional accomplishments, uh, it's probably the thing that I am most proud of. But less than a year after I left um, the state and was back in the private sector, I um, we were pre- my wife was pregnant with our second child, and and she had a difficult pregnancy and had to be on bed rest and and, and in the hospital for a large, long period of time. And I uh, realized how hard it was to be a single parent. And I was, you know, making a lot of money, and I had family nearby and had a lot of support, yet it was still hard. I was realized because my wife was, you know, literally you know, unable to help any with any of this stuff that went along with being a parent. And so I was a single parent for that nine-week period. I mean, it's a 13-week period, sorry. And she, uh, and so afterwards, I, I came to realize how, you know, the responsibility I had, the obligation I had, because I'd made a lot of decisions as uh, head of social services that were uh, pretty short-sighted and, and didn't think about what it meant to be a single parent in, in the context of welfare reform. And, and that was my first realization that no matter how good the work was that we did, there was always opportunities to make things better. And, and if, you, if I got too uh, full of myself then, then, and too caught up in the, the glamour of, of leading, uh, I'd lose sight of, you know, I read there was a, a really great quote by Max Dupree, uh, Dupree the uh, former CEO of, uh, I can't remember who he's the CEO for, but he's a you know, leadership guru and yep. a great, you know, great resource. But he talks about the fact that you know leading is um, is an honor. People give us a great honor and, and bestow on us a great level of responsibility when they um, allow us to lead them and they choose to follow us. And we as leaders have an obligation to honor that and, and to respect that and, and to repay that trust in kind with with everything we have. And you know that's what frustrates me often about uh, leaders these days. You know, people who are in leadership positions who who are more caught up in uh, whether it's the corporate setting their their stock options and their perks uh, than they are with the shareholders and the employees of the of uh, that they're responsible for. Or if it's in politics, they're more worried about being reelected than the the people, their constituents' real needs. Um, you know there there are some extraordinary leaders out there who take this this very um, the essence of leadership very to its core and and take it to heart. Um, you know, one of my favorite politicians, though I never agreed with, you know, I didn't like his policies, but I, I loved his willingness to take stands with a guy named uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan up in your your neck of the woods. Oh he yes, oh yes, great senators because. He really didn't care what his party said. He didn't care what his uh, constituents wanted or thought they needed. He did what he thought was right. And I really respect that. And so many politicians won't do that. And they don't realize that their constituents will respect them for doing what, what they believe is genuinely right. And if they don't, then, you know, there are worse things than not being reelected. 
You know, too often times our politicians are in the news for really ridiculous things. And um, instead of being in the news for taking a stand on a very important issue, and uh, it's, 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 it's a real shame that uh, these are some of the leaders that we do have in Congress. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> and and how would you define the great traits of a leader? You know, we've talked about it before, and I say it again, it's the, the, the trait of a you know, single greatest trait of a, of a great leader his uh, self-awareness, that, that ability to say, here's who I am, and then putting themselves in context of the world around them and saying, okay, here's who I am, here's what I, be- here's what I believe, and here's what's really important to me, and here's how the world either aligns or doesn't align with that, and, and then being willing to take action based on uh, the misalignments and saying, hey, here's a problem. I believe X, and this is what's happening, and, and I can do something about this, and I can stop this from happening. And, you know, I, I, I love uh, one of my favorite musicians is uh, Bono. And, uh, you yes, know, I love yes. the fact that he's taken his, uh, his position, his celebrity, and, and invested himself in understanding the issues like poverty in Africa, and, right. and got yes. gotten into the issue so that he actually understands the uh, the problems as well as the policy makers that do or better. And you know, I think uh, that's a great example of leadership. Um, you know, so many celebrities just use their position to spout platitudes, and right. he right. gets into it to a point where he can actually affect real change. And uh, how would you describe your leadership style, or are there leadership styles? But how would you describe yours? Um, you know, I, I, I thought about this question a lot. I, was, I get asked it regularly, and, and um, I, the best way I describe my leadership style is evolving. You know, it is, it is evolving as I evolve. Um, but when I, was, when I was in a position where I was um, managing and leading a large team, um, it was... I would say that people who worked for me would describe me as very participatory. That you know, I involved others in the decisions. I, I would would solicit input. I, I uh, my personality. I'm an extreme extrovert, and and uh, I really thrive on that human contact. And so I, I used to uh, used to make people who worked for me crazy because I would shop ideas around and just start talking. I would like to you know I would like to vet an idea with with a lot of different people. And so I, I, started, I developed a habit of saying, hey, I'm just talking here. You know, this is just, you know, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just talking. So it, the uh, long and short is I think the best way to describe me is, is very uh, engaging and engaged as a leader. I, I like drawing people into the process. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, you know, it's interesting that your book has uh, five sections to it. I'm, I'm ready to, to jump into it because um, I think if folks have listened to the first interview and, and uh, in listening to this interview, they're, they're, they're going to hear these four, uh, five, well, four parts and then the afterward, how you're going to explode upon it. But uh, the part one, as you have said, it's knowing who you are and what you believe. Tell us about that, this part, and why is it so important? Well, you know, this is a the, the the book is very foundational. Section one, you, you know, you it builds 
every section builds on the next. And, um, you know, I believe that the biggest problem most leaders face is that they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, they, you know, people get themselves in trouble um, because um, they haven't really taken the time to think about what really matters to them and where they're going to take a stand. It's not that people won't take stands. It's just they don't realize, oh, man, uh, this is something worth doing. Um, and, you know, leadership, you know, that knowing yourself and knowing who you are, what you believe, it goes beyond just that inventorying of, of our beliefs and values and strengths and weaknesses and all those things that define who we are. It goes well beyond that. It, it actually gets into then telling others that. And that from the first chapter of, of that first section is about character and being willing to, to not only inventory your, your skills and your beliefs and your values, but being uh, courageous enough to then share that with others. Because what happens when we start to share that with others, we, uh, we can then um, be called to task for that when we're not. And that's a, that's a powerful thing. It can be scary because nobody wants to be viewed as being inconsistent or not living up to the, the, their uh, stated values. But at the same time, if you work with people and you trust them enough to share who you are, they're going to then respond by sharing with you who they are, and and that knowledge can actually make uh, decision making better. It makes it can make the relationships uh, uh, more powerful. Um, it's it's just amazing what can happen when we start to really know each other, and and only and only can we know the people around us if we're willing to share with them who we are. That is excellent. That is excellent. So basically, when you know who you are and what you believe, uh, people will understand that and they will respect you for that. Therefore, if there's a situation in in a particular, uh, even if it's a community group and people know where you stand on certain issues, they know what they should present to you that you will probably like and what you probably won't like. Exactly. Well, and it's beyond that. It's... um you know, I tell people, um, and this this raises a lot of eyebrows when I when I say this in front of HR people in particular. Um, I tell them, you know, there are two topics, there are three topics that are taboo and taboo in, in uh, the business world and, and social, you know, in, in any work setting, and and that's religion, politics, and sex. I mean, well, oh. well, well okay. I'll acknowledge <laughs> sex is probably has no there's no room for it in the in corporations or or in the workplace. But the first two, religion and politics, um, I tell people if those two are often the most um, visible uh, manifestations of our belief systems, and if we can't, if we don't talk about those in a way that is not about proselytizing or trying to convert people to your way of thinking or to say to somebody, "I'm right and you're wrong," but if if you do it with in in a way that says, hey, I make decisions based on my values, and here's, here's how my values are defined, all of a sudden people can understand and, and help you see where you may be blind to something. And right. so if I'm making a decision based on a spiritual or religious belief that is mis, uh, ill-advised, somebody can approach it from a way that says to me, have you thought about it this way? 
And, you know, again, it's, it's a touchy subject, and it's a very thin line you've you got to avoid. But if you, if you can have those conversations in a spirit of genuine interest, and I like to tell people a story about my, my last work group. I had a very diverse team. I had uh, a, a Muslim uh, gentleman working for me, two Hindus, and uh, three, or f- three, four uh, Christians. Mm-hmm. So we were at a very diverse religious background, and we, would, we never talked about it until one day I was stuck on a bus when I was in, in India on a, on a, a business trip with one of my uh, one of the members of my team, and we spent four hours stuck in traffic. And we had exhausted every co- topic that was okay to talk about, and we slipped into the conversation about religion. And it was a conversation that was not about either of us trying to convince the other that they were right. It was about, hmm, that's interesting. I'd like to know more. Tell me more. Teach me. Let me understand where you're coming from. Just from genuine curiosity. Um, after that conversation, this, this guy who's, who had been working for me for six years said, you know, Doug, I feel closer to you than I've ever felt, and we've worked together for six years. You should, you should talk like this more often. You should be more open about who you are. And, uh, you know, it, it really, it, I did, and I started opening up, and, and the relationships flourished, and our decisions started to, to improve. Our ability to communicate and talk about tough subjects uh, became easier because we had really, you know, as I said, shared some core pieces of who we are. That is phenomenal. That is phenomenal. So it, it's, you know, when people really understand the root of who you are, then they feel that they know you better and they're going to open up to you more. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are four attributes associated with knowing who you are. And the first was that character, just that inventorying of who you are and then sharing with others. But then you have to get into looking at authenticity. And, and you know, I, I wrote in the chapter about uh, Teddy Roosevelt because he was one of these guys that, you know, studying Roosevelt, he, he was one of these people who did so many different things in his life. He was a politician, he was a soldier, he was, he, and he, he didn't play at any of these things, he did them all, and, and he was genuine in each of them. Even though each of the roles he was playing or, or living uh, required different sets of uh, attributes and, and highlighted different parts of him. And, you know, so I talked to a large, a big part of knowing who you are is knowing that sometimes we're one way and sometimes we're another. Mm-hmm. on the role we're in. And mm-hmm. so being authentically yourself uh, is so important. And then, you, you know, the, the third attribute is uh, integrity, which uh, it's, I don't focus as much on the truth and the honesty part of integrity as the integrated, you know, it shares the same root word as integral and being whole, that, that wholeness associated with, with integrity is what is so important. And, when we have all these different roles we play, how do we reconcile those? And are we being, you know, whole? And and so, and then the last part of that chapter is well, the, the subject is self-efficacy. That belief that we can do anything we put our mind to, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's just so important. And again, it's based on that self-awareness of if I really know what I, who I am and what I have in my you know bag of tricks, I can. I can take on some pretty difficult and, and unexpected challenges. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, Doug, we have about four minutes left, and we've got five parts to talk about. Oh, so. yeah, I'm sorry. I no, no, no. This is but, you know, the reality is that's the most important. And I tell people, if you don't read anything else but that first section, that's it. Oh, I tell you, that is absolutely wonderful. But I tell you, we're going to have to have you back on the program to dive deeper into these areas. Yeah. But let's talk about part two, knowing what you want. Yeah, and again, it's an extension of knowing who you are. And mm-hmm. as I talked about, when you see yourself in the context of, of the bigger world, you can start aspiring to to be you know, to change things. You can you can right the wrongs. And, and again, talking about Bono earlier, um, it is you know it is so important. Not just you know, and, and the first attribute there is, is um, ambition. And I really focus on the societal ambition, not the personal. Being you know, wanting to see society and the world around us change for the better. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And let's talk about part three: yep. attracting and, mo- and motivating others. Yeah, and, and it, it really is two halves of the book. The first half is very about, very much about knowing yourself and knowing how you fit in the world around you. And then once you know that, then you can start saying, "Okay, how do I make myself somebody people choose to follow?" Because uh, real leadership comes down to choice. If somebody, you know, the, the position we're in, the jobs we have, tell us who we're going to work for. Um, but who we choose to follow is a very personal choice. And, and often the real leaders in an organization don't have the titles. They're, they're the ones who, who get things done because they just are reliable. And, you know, this section focuses on what you can do, you know, that, that uh, you know, the courage it takes to, to get people to, to want to be. And when you show courage, people want to uh, follow you. When, you. when you have the stamina to put up with all of the things that, that make life difficult, people want to follow you. Exactly, exactly. Before we get to uh, part four, could you please share with the audience your website where they can get information, where they can learn more about you and learn more about your book? Sure. It's www.ifyouwillead.com. Dot com. And you are also a certified pr- professional coach. Yes, excellent. I'm certified by the International Coach Federation. Excellent, excellent. So getting back to this excellent book, uh, Earning, in part four is Earning and Retaining the Privilege to Lead. Yeah. You know, that really got me. We talk about the privilege to lead. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, we, we started our conversation uh this morning about the uh, that it is a great honor people bestow on us when they when they choose to follow us, and we have a responsibility to pay that back and 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 earn that trust every day. And that you know it's a privilege, it's a gift people give us. And you know this chapter gets into a lot of the things that are are sometimes not all that sexy. You know about leading. It's you know there's a chapter on patience and and how. You know, great leaders have the will to, to be patient and just to stick, you know, when they have a plan, they stick to it because they know it's right and, and it's, it can be really grueling. But, you know, it's their ability to, to be patient and, and at the same time enthusiastic can make, you know, the even dull and drudge, uh, the drudgery of some roles uh, seem, seem meaningful and, and put things in context. Excellent, excellent. And a lot of times, you know, we talked about this earlier in, in, our, in our discussion here, that some leaders really don't 
understand or respect the um, the duties that have been placed upon them, which often leads to teams that don't do as well because the leader it's not because it's a bad team it's because it's a bad leader right How, have you uh, encountered that situation where you were uh, invited to coach someone uh, who unfortunately um, had that characteristic yeah I, I have and you know it it is uh, it's tough when they 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 don't see it but I, I feel like you know one of my jobs is to hold the mirror up and, you know, I, I've been fortunate in that I haven't had any clients that have um, just, you know, completely balked and said, no, nope, you know, uh, you're wrong. I'm a good leader. I'm not, I'm not out of alignment. They're, they're, this is, this is it, it's the team's fault, not mine. You know, most people I've worked with, in fact, every, all the clients I've worked with have been um, very open. Um, but it takes time. It, you, it's, it's a, coaching is a relationship and trust uh, centered uh, process, and so it, it takes time to build the trust to have those very frank and honest conversations. Yes. Well, Doug, believe it or not, our time is up. I'm going to have to have you back on the program to talk more about this great book titled If You, if you Will Lead, Enduring Wisdom for 21st Century Leaders. Uh, Doug, I want to thank you uh, for coming on the program these last two weeks. Well, Darrell, thank you for having me, and thanks for indulging me in my ramblings. I, I love this topic, and it's something I get excited about, and I can I can go on and on, as you can tell. Well, we're going to have to get you here on the, the East Coast to, to do some speaking. <laughs> well, I, I'd love to. I look forward to it. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Mr. Doug Moran, author of If You Will Lead, uh, Enduring Wisdom for 21st Century Leaders. And we want to thank him for coming on the program. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM, Seton Hall University. And don't forget, we're streaming on the net all across the world at WSOU.net. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great day.